In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And the art of practical Catholicism and practical tools. We're going right into the heart of what that means here on this episode. Going into the real world and taking action with our Catholic faith, the very heart and soul of the Catholic Toolbox. So. I welcome Peter Holmes this week. Welcome to the Catholic Toolbox, Peter. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, you're a very prominent name around uh, uh, Catholic circles, especially academic circles. Why don't you start off by introducing yourself to our listeners, uh, who, who you are and, and, and what you do exactly? All right. Um, I teach at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, I am a lecturer, senior lecturer in scripture mostly so i teach old and new testaments um i teach uh marriage and sexuality and in in order to teach the scriptural subjects i also teach hebrew biblical hebrew and biblical greek um i do offer latin but no one's ever showed up for the classes so unfortunately i've never actually had a latin class there but that's my main job i come from a um i have a, a wife and i have eight children um my studies have been in, uh, is there a Catholic theology of masculinity? Um, and I am a former Lutheran minister. So in a past life, a long time ago, I had some pastoral experience um, in, that, in that area, so. That's wonderful. And uh, it, it's, you know, I love when I hear conversion stories and to see that the work that you do and what, what comes out of it, there's a great momentum with uh, converts to the Catholic faith. They, they really bring a great momentum compared to us cradle Catholics, really. <laughs> but let's go straight into the topic. Taking action with our faith in the real world. And um, the reason I founded the Catholic Toolbox was I, I saw a need, uh, it was in the midst of a construction project and I was working on a $6 million project and we'd have toolbox meetings each week to discuss a strategy, practical implementation of that project. And my mind dozed off. In the, into the air. I was thinking about the church. I'm like, mm, we could really use this for the church <laughs> to then take action with our roof. And there, the show was born. So, so I, and, and I know you're passionate about uh, universities and, and sending students off that are Catholics into the real world. So I really want to get to the basis of formation and, 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 and really 
forming students or, or anybody in general. It's, it doesn't just cover students. The whole scope is, is, is broad. Forming Catholics for the world so that we can go out there in whatever sphere of influence we have and, and affect mm -hmm. change in the real world. So, 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 so what basis do we have uh, of our Lord uh, commissioning us for formation in general? Well, I mean, St. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we should always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within us. So when people, and it's, it's worded in Greek in the sense that when people ask us about why we hope, we need to be ready to give account for that, like to actually, and the account there is a kind of a, not just oh, I'm going to tell you a reason, but an account, a full reasoning a whole, the logic, the experience, the, um, the hope that's within us, the entire background plus um, anything else that will convince them. We need to be able to give account of ourselves and of Christ because we're not just speaking for ourselves because, to be honest, most of us um, would like to think we're terribly interesting people and most people are interesting, but what's really interesting about us is that God made us, loves us and wants us to speak for him we speak on behalf of God when we're talking about the faith. Um, I've, I mean, back when I was a minister, we knew this was the case very early on, that the, the quality of your parish, the quality of your, the local Christianity was very much reliant on how well you formed your people. And each and every one of them is a missionary, whether or not they're cleaners or uh, welcomers or cooks or anything everyone's ends up being a missionary and if you can't form them um what you end up as your mission fails because everyone has to sort of chip in and be be the witness we've i think i noticed a long time ago that in our western society we've divided the jobs up uh into experts so the engineers do the engineering bit and the builders do the building bit and everybody does their bit now that's great we all all should work to our talents and strengths particularly when there's quite high levels of education involved uh, and and experience mind you um the the problem is is that we've we act as if there's only really one thing that we're good for or one sort of angle that we can come in and help but as christians we need to form ourselves completely as a person um, we all need to be engaged in all aspects of the faith, in the living out of the faith, in helping people, in loving people, in practical help, in being able to speak of the faith, in being able to pray, all of these things. So before I was at the university, I worked in adult education, which was forming youth leaders, forming parish workers, uh, and we were doing that in the Diocese of Melbourne and surrounding area. And then I was headhunted to come up to Sydney and do it here. And I did that for six years in the Catholic Adult Education Centre, which was a, a reasonably big um, sort of student group I there remember, for a while. I remember I was a, a benefactor of the Catholic Adult Education Centre when I did have my reversion to the faith uh, in year nine uh, and then 10. I was, I was probably the youngest student who attended <laughs> Catholic Adult Education <laughs> Centre. So I took a course. I was, I was flunking school days to take courses at the Catholic Adult Education Center and right. every week. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully what we do and we talk about today means that we find a way, the world's not perfect, but we find a way for people to thrive in, in their secular pursuits at the same time as being as thriving in the faith. Cause it's not, it's not an either or scenario. We don't need um, to neglect our careers or our, our, 
our other family. I mean, we need to prioritize the faith, obviously, but we don't need to neglect the other things. Um, but, and I'm not saying you did, I'm just making sure that the listeners understand that we're not saying give up everything else and go to the Catholic Cattle Dead, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, I, I, when I, I went to enjoy sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when I went to Notre Dame, it was always under the understanding. I mean, I'm a late starter for academics. I'm, I'm not a, you know, a, an early doctoral student who went up and through the ranks and has taught academia the whole time. Um, I only ever went to the university in the understanding that this is one way in which Catholics prepare people for life and for all the good things we can do in life. Um, so our classes, um, especially in theology and philosophy at Notre Dame, have always been um, with a view that this is a contribution and affects every area of life. Even when people are teaching, I'm teaching people Hebrew, the Hebrew minds, mindset, the mindset of the Old Testament is taught through that class and it shapes the minds of people so they come out the other end a much better understanding of the Old Testament world and therefore of God and what he's saying in his scriptures. There's a whole range of things that we teach there which um, form people. But let's take a step back about formation and ask why we need to be formed. Um, we're going to meet people on a bus stop. So I've heard some people say, I'm not a people person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an, a really good at arguing the faith, but I'm not very good at winning friends. Well, you've got to be both. I mean, I'm not very good at social graces. I, I, I go to a party or a barbecue and I'm really, really bad at the small talk and all the things that, you know, are necessary as part of um, normal life. Um, that's just a real weakness of mine. But I can't excuse myself from the effort. I need to work on that. I need to form myself so that I'm able to uh, not get in the way of what God has to do through uh, my strengths. If my weaknesses get in the way of my strengths, then that's, that's a tragedy that I've wasted my strengths. Um, so my formation is in part to help deal with my deficiencies, to, to, to be realistic about where um, my flaws are and to ask God to help me work on them. Then secondly, to be realistic about where my, my strengths are and, be, and work hard to make them work for God. Yeah, um, that's right. It's the whole parable of the talents that Christ um, told his followers. The, the, I, the man, one man gets five talents, one gets, uh, I think, three, and the other one gets one. And they each, the ones who are successful, go away and use their talents. They put them to good use. And they um, they come back with a, a much a lot of return for investment, mm -hmm. uh, but one of them sort of just hides it away and returns precisely what he got back. Um, uh, when God gives us the more that God gives us, um, the more He's going to expect us to come back with, because that's the natural expectation of an investor. So, a part of our um, attempt to form ourselves to to make good use of the things that God has given us is not as if we're doing something amazing. We're doing the bare minimum of being a Christian. So that that's the thing. That's that's the thing. We're not doing God a favor by using our talents. We're, we're doing precisely the bare minimum that we we and, we and, have and to. You'd have a unique perspective, uh, being on both sides of the fence when you were a, a Protestant and then becoming Catholic. There seems to be a greater sense of the missionary 
in in the Protestant circles compared to the Catholic circles. Uh, and, and what's your observation? What was your first observation and the current observation of the Catholic culture of, of being able, not standing up in a pew, but simply going in the ordinary circumstances of daily life and being a missionary? What's the Catholic culture or cultural observations that you made initially when you came to the faith and currently at the moment, the situation within the church? There's a lot of questions tied up in that, George. Um, one of them... I have to say initially is the Protestant commitment to evangelization is, is based on their understanding of how you get saved. Yeah. Now that's a, an understanding we don't share. And so, for example, I was raised, actually raised an evangelical and then became a Lutheran and then later became a Catholic. Uh, and evangelicals are quite happy to go out there and be gung ho about pushing people and, and, and teaching them and urging them to make a decision for Jesus because that's what they believe saves people. If they've made a decision for Jesus, they're saved. Whereas what does it take to save a Catholic? Well, a lifelong, a life lived with Christ in sacramental grace all the way to your death and then buried within the sacramental grace. Like it's much harder, if you like, to save someone in the inverted commas in the Catholic faith, because we know that God does not take away our free will. So when, you and I um, uh, are affected by God's grace. We're, we're saved, so to speak, or re redeemed of sin. We still have free will. And so it's still possible for us to choose against God and God, God's grace needs, to, I need to cooperate with God's grace in my life, my whole life in order to come to final salvation. Now that's harder. It's a harder sell than a one, one event where somebody says, I give my heart to Jesus. Oh, good. Tick. We've got you. There you go. It's, much it's a very hard sell. However, so in other words, it's harder to evangelize as a Catholic. In some ways, it's easier because my job as an evangelist, as a Catholic, is not to save your soul from hell. That's, in fact, Jesus Christ's job. It's not my job. My job is to bear witness to his grace, to his love. My job is to, in this moment, do the little things which witness to God's love, the little things which urge people and draw them ever so slightly towards his grace in the sacraments, the little things which help them come to a reasonable understanding of the faith. Now, if we imagine, this is the, the, the thing I noticed about Protestants, they get very enthusiastic, but everything seems much simpler because all I have to do is get you to this decision moment, this, this moment of crisis, whereas a Catholic, it's complicated. I, you know, if I'm talking to an atheist, there's the intellectual um, journey that has to become, you know, to accept the reasonable, reasonableness of a faith in God. And then finally, the reasons for the faith in God. And then finally, the intellectual arguments about it. If I'm talking to um, that same person and there's a spiritual struggle, there's the whole spiritual grace element that takes time for them to work in their life. If they've had bad experiences in their life, which almost everyone has these days, there's the entire psychological angle of them having to you know finally come to grips with where does god fit in my suffering you know and and if they've just you know if they're trying to impress a girl nearby there's the entire social element of it that they're much more interested in looking impressive much harder to the to girl be next door isn't it yes yes so in other words we're much more holistic about our approach to evangelization but the other factor is is that you're right catholics are 
have relied on having many, many more numbers. We're, we're bigger numerically than any other denomination, um, any denomination in Australia. Um, and we've kind of sat on our laurels a bit with that and, and just let it, because we've got enough people to go around. And it's been a little bit of a cultural thing. It's only in the last generation or so you hear about people becoming Catholics from outside of the cultural Catholicism. Um, in, in numbers, I mean, not, not in, the people have always become Catholics, but in, in larger numbers. But as Protestantism has become more and more nutty, and I have to say it's going a little bit more crazy every day that, that I look back on it, um, more and more people like myself come to, to points of crisis in their faith and ask the hard questions, and they're looking for answers. And so they open up opportunities for us to perhaps gently provide those answers, to invite them to consider the Catholic answers. Um, I think it is a moment in history now where we have something which our the people 50 years ago didn't have. Uh, people were less likely to consider other religions 50 years ago than their own home, family home. We have a period in history where there's a massive amount of religious um, downfall and turmoil and people asking deep questions. We have a massive turmoil of families. Almost everybody is affected by some kind of brokenness these days. There's a great deal of angst uh, and loss and people looking for meaning in life. So there's a whole lot of things that have come together to people searching for some kind of meaning. And uh, I'm not sure that we've, our history and our current training has actually equipped us to be prepared to be harvesters, to be the ones who go out into the harvest field as Christ calls us to be. Excellent. And that's, uh, I think, let's go into that discussion there now. What does it take for your average Catholic layperson? I think this is, our scope should be laity. Your average Catholic layperson to be well-rounded in their faith, living their faith in the Catholic faith, living a life of grace and them being able to go out to his or her workplace, have open conversations with people, maybe catch up people one-on-one, -on -one, chat with them about the faith and eventually bring souls to Christ. And, and, I, and I mean, in practical terms to, to possibly baptism, bring them to the Catholic faith. How do we do that in this hostile cult? What does it take to prepare mm. ourselves? It's a hard one. It's well, I mean, I, I think it's hard to do. It's not hard to know what to do, though. It's actually, it's yeah. quite a simple task. The, the task is to love. And I'm, I don't mean in the sense of wishy-washy approving of everybody, what everybody else does. That's not love. Yeah. I mean in the sense of, of wishing and doing the good for the other. So wishing and doing something that is objectively good for another. So I want you to flourish. If I'm a Christian, I want you as a son of God to flourish. And therefore I'm, I commit myself when I go to the altar and I receive communion, I commit myself to your flourishing, to your peace, to your whole life in God. Now I commit myself to that, but then I have to ask myself, what's my role in this? Now, it may be that it's in passing, that I simply treat you with dignity and respect as I pass you in the street, because that's the only encounter I have with you. But if I work with you, then I treat you with dignity and respect in that I listen, I pay attention to you, I give you the best possible, you know, I attribute with the best possible motives, I try to listen, I try to be helpful, 
I go out of my way to, um, uh, to enhance your life in every good way uh, that I can. And in other words, Christian love has always stood out in, to the people of the world because it's extraordinary. When, when the martyrs, um, so when the Christians were singled out by those people in Rome and said, you guys are different, it wasn't because they were really good at singing hymns, although they were. It wasn't that they were really good at reciting catechisms, although they were. It was because their love was different. It was different to those around them. It was different because it wasn't guided by what people were feeling. It was guided by objective principles of goodness that they were actually striving for to do good in these people's lives. Um, even when they were persecuted, even when they were hurt, even when people were angry or uh, slandered them, they still did what was objectively fair and good to their neighbors. Now that's, that's hard because most people who are, who don't deserve our love are the very ones who need it. Um, the ones who are mean to you are actually the ones who most need your love. Uh, because the meanness is usually a symptom of some kind of deep inner cancer or hurt or bitterness that they have. And um, they most need the love of God. Think of the most mean, nasty person to Christians in history. And you probably get St. Paul, who was running around the place trying to put them all in prison and kill them. And God had a plan. He changed his heart and turned him into his most fierce and prolific advocate and, and evangelist. So we should always treat even the meanest person we know as perhaps a future um, brother or sister in Christ, who's going to be amazing. And then we should talk to them as if they are going to be that brother um, and sister in Christ and so treat them with that respect. Human, so you're really starting off by focusing on the human virtues. Yes. By, by, by exercising your good human virtues, uh, not rushing to uh, the religious things, but just the good ordinary everyday things. I don't think you have to rush to them, but you shouldn't ever hide them. Like, I don't think you should be ashamed, ashamed or, or sneaky about your faith. I'm a Catholic. I'm very upfront about being a Catholic. My atheist friends who I play computer games with regularly, um, some of whom have very different lifestyles to the ones I would, I would normally espouse, all of them know that I'm a Catholic. And they, they have a go at me occasionally, and I have a little bit of a fun dig back at them occasionally for being pagans. Um, uh, we were just joking the other night, they were very upset with COVID. And I said, one of the problems of being an atheist is you've got no one to be angry with when things go wrong. Um, there's <laughs> <laughs> so, a kind of a, a little bit of friendly banter. And basically when you show that you're a human being, you have deep held beliefs, but you're prepared to mock yourself a little bit. You're prepared to have a little bit of a dig back at them. It's all in good fun. They can actually have a go. And when it, things get tough, they trust you. And this is the key. If mm -hmm. you've shown that you're genuine, if you've shown that you actually love them with no strings attached, you're not trying to just win them over just for the box tick. Like you're not just trying to get them in the door. When you treat them as if they are worth listening to, as if they are worth knowing, as if they are worth loving, at that point, they might be ready to trust you with something that matters to them. Now, of course, what we hope at that point is that we've got something that matters to them. And that is when it comes to the actual faith. And one of the dangers here is that we get so excited about the faith that we, especially when we understand one element of it very well, if we go off and yell and scream and, 
and um, get very excited about one element of the faith, we end up putting people off, I think. Yeah, I think we've all come across that one person who's really, really into, I don't know, old liturgies or um, perhaps they're really into the pro-life thing or they're really, really into apologetics or they really think that the Liberal Party is, you know, God's gift to Australia. There's there's always someone or someone who thinks that a football is going to, evangelisation is going to save the world. All these people have found something they understand, they think it's a good thing, and it quite possibly could and be. They a good elevate thing. the one element. I love how you emphasize that right. one element because there's always what you notice is there's some people who take an interest in one agenda of the faith, not to judge their intentions or anything, but their actions on the outward appear that they want to look at one element. You know, it's either just about liturgy or it's just yep. about. Um, their, you know, ideas or agenda or political yep. agendas, and uh, and one of the tricks of the evil one, and we don't need the evil one to do this to us. That we're quite good at doing it to ourselves. But one of the pitfalls in this whole thing, especially in our faith, to fall into is to pit two good things against each other as if they're opposed. Like, uh, as I was growing up, people was like the pro-life guys were emphasizing, you know, uh, anti-abortion and and you know, pro helping people have babies. And, and on the other side, there were people who were saying, no, we need to be more helping refugees and the, and the Aboriginals and all sorts of people. And, and I was thinking, isn't the Christian message that we want them all to be helped and we want them all to be loved? And why is it that we've got two sides here yelling at each other as if these two goods are opposed to each other? That's a win for the bad guys. Um, that's a win. I, I think as humans, we can get really zealous with, again, when we pick an element of the faith that we be, we're, we're personally <laughs> attached yep. to, we really like, we can become overzealous and attach that possibly to our self-esteem and, and our self-accomplishment. Yep. So in a sense, it becomes about us. It, uh, it can, it can, or sometimes it's about the fact that life is complicated and the, the faith is big and it's a huge, like it's a big world, the Catholic faith. You'll never ever read the whole thing. You'll never understand it all yourself. And there's a certain amount of humility that has to come with being a Catholic that, um, well, as a Lutheran, I pretty much knew most Lutherans in Australia. I was very much involved in everything. I'd read almost everything I could um, of the Lutheran theology up to date. And then I became a Catholic and I had to get to a point where I gave up trying to read everything because there's just too much stuff <laughs> and this you just got to have a, a humble heart and come at it and say this is what god seems to have put in front of me these are the tasks that he seems to have given me i can accept and in fact i rejoice in the fact that george is doing his own thing over there and other people are doing their own things over there and that this is part of god's whole plan and i'm part of his body it there's a there's a when we however feel insecure or when we're when you feel a little bit desperate about the world being a bit crazy and it's getting worse just recently because of COVID people grasp onto something that seems to make sense in itself. And they grab that thing like a, like a life raft, like as if they're drowning and they grab hold of it and they go, this, this is what's going to make sense of the whole world. And then they go and beat other people with it. Now, <laughs> now they don't mean to do that. Um, and it's certainly not a malicious thing. I don't think it's just that it makes sense to them. And the more desperate we are for something that makes sense, the more desperate we are for something that gives us an identity, um, especially when family breakdowns hit and, and friendships are uh, falling, you find something that seems to give you identity and it becomes, you, 
it becomes a kind of a uh, like a badge for a club but it also can be a dangerous thing because we see any kind of attempt for people to talk back to that one thing as an attack on us um, that's dangerous god god's church and god himself will stand without me i don't need to defend god as in, of course, if I'm in a discussion with someone and someone has a go, I'll offer counter arguments. I'll talk to them gently about uh, perhaps that's not the way God works. But God doesn't need me to defend him. God's not going to fall over because some atheist in the back of um, Western Sydney, you know, called him a bad name or something. <laughs> it's not that vulnerable. Um, what's needed is this person needs to meet the living God. This person needs to know God's love and he needs to know that that God loves that person, him or her, and wants them, him or her, not some sort of um, specially uh, tidied up version of them, but them in their raw and uh, hurt and pain and all of that. And God wants to transform that into something good. Now that's really hard to convince people. Um, one last analogy, if I can use this to, um, I used to go past when I was a student in Adelaide, I used to walk past this, uh, this guy who was a drunk and on the street every day. And I never, I used to say hello to him, but I never had the guts to go and actually sit down and talk to him. And somebody else walked past him and, and said, alcohol's ruining your life. And then walked off. Now that was the truth. Alcohol was in fact ruining his life, but I did sit down with him and he said, do you think I don't know this? He knew that he knew that part. What he didn't know was that there was a better alternative that he had other choices. He had no other hope in his life and please God. I mean, eventually someone, I was part of a very small thing of trying to get him to a place where other people helped him. But the point wasn't the actual physical help. It was the hope that he had to see. Most people who are trapped uh, in, in a bad situation or in sin, they know it's hurt. They know it's not good for them. And us telling them that's bad is not helping. What they need is a better choice, is to know that there's a hope out there. And to be honest, um, St. Augustine says this, nobody wakes up and goes, ha ha, I mean, what evil can I do today? They all choose what they think is the best thing for them today. And the tragedy is that when they choose to pursue one good and destroy another, they do harm to themselves and to everyone around them. And what Augustine says is we should teach them the way to pursue all goods. We should teach them that this is possible, that it's a good thing. Um, we had, I've done a lot of marriage counselling um, in past lives and, and slightly more recently. And in almost every situation I've talked to a young couple who aren't married and living together, yeah. um, I feel like saying to them, this is a bad idea, living together before you're married. All the stats show it's a bad idea. It's a really bad idea for you. But all of them have said to me before I got there, of course we'd like to be married but they all think this is the best option we've got available to us now yep. because they're scared yep. to believe in marriage. 
They're scared to make the step to actually have hope. And often one or both of them will end up coming into a normal Catholic couple that they've met and just ask them, is it possible to be married? Is it because people have lost hope. And what they need is to find someone who lives it firstly, not, not in a, as if they're perfect, lives it with the raw honesty that involves in the struggle of normal life and lives it with hope. And when they see that hope and they see that it's real and they see that these people are just bumbling strugglers like the rest of us, they might come and go, Hey, Hey, this is possible. Now we can make these steps to something better. Really? I mean, there's a lot there to be a Catholic taking action and living your faith in the real world. There's so many spheres of influence that we all have. Some are professionals, some are students, some are uh, parents at home, um, a mother at home and um, people that homeschool their uh, kids. There there seems to be a lot of spheres of influence that we need to change, even the political sphere as well. Um, But let's now go into, let's, let's step back. Uh, These are some ideas of how we, of, of how we need to carry ourselves in the real world to exercise our human virtues as a start. But let's now take a step back and look what formation should every Catholic baseline have, not just students. This may include students Uh, and knowledge wise, personally, psychologically, in the holistic spectrum that you spoke about before, we as Catholics yeah. are very holistic about yep. what, what are the tools that we need? Uh, oh, look, I, I would say... Um, get out there and get started. A, hu- a huge problem in our current world is that not very many people understand what logic is. Um, just like most of the problems that I come across in theology aren't theology problems, they're logic problems that people just can't argue from A to B. Um, so just having a basic, um, start, like just, you don't have to go to university for this. You can, um, get some fairly straightforward classes in logic. Um, just online, like there's a, some fairly good YouTube videos, which run through the basics of logic. I'd choose a Catholic one because most of them assume a certain understanding of reality. And if you pick a Catholic one, um, uh, it helps you at least start from the right point of view. But um, I, reading widely is always a good thing. Now, I know that most people now nowadays find it hard to read because we're so bombarded by screens. We're so used to things being instantaneous. YouTube videos can help. But um, can I s- strongly suggest before we even get into the positive formation, we need to be aware of what's affecting us negatively. If we are like I... I used to listen to the radio all the all day as I was driving around the place. And I found out that my sense of humor was affected by which radio station I listened to. So I had a certain kind of sense of humor when I listened to triple J, I had a certain kind of sense of humor when I was listening to triple M or whatever it is these days. I haven't listened to it for ages. And it affected me. And, and when I listened to the ABC, it was mostly yep. occasion for sin because I was often in a rage at what was going on. But the, um, the point I'm making is that it was a constant uh, bombardment into my mind and my heart. And, and I was being affected by it. So I stopped um, listening to the radio and started getting my own podcasts or tapes or whatever it was, cassettes back then, 
and listening to stuff that I'd chosen, which I thought was going to help me, you know, talks people gave or music, which was just good. And I'd chosen it because it was good for me. And it was, it was edifying. And even if it was, some of it was secular, some of it was Christian, but it was mostly just good stuff for me. I know it, it helped me uh, lift my, my contemplation to God and also to enjoy life. Um, making that choice is a very important thing. Understanding that watching, you know, advertisements on television is a, is a, they're designed to make you unhappy with yourself. So you'll buy their products. So get rid of them. Um, make your choices to watch things, but do it without exposing yourself to constant bombardment of those things and make choices about the music you listen to and about the TV you watch. The second thing is, as I would say, try to build into your life contemplation. Yep. Actually sitting and being, so there's three really big important things. We should talk to God, which means we should pray to God and be honest about what we're feeling and, and wanting that day. And so the mental prayer aspect. Yep. yep. The second part is we should listen. And part of listening is to read God's word, um, to pray often the office is the best way to do that, um, which we can get online. And the third one is contemplation to, to wonder about life. Sometimes it's just, wow, God's amazing. Look at this place. And other times it's just to wonder, uh, to mull over and allow um, our mind to work. Now, even if you're not a Catholic, even if you're not a Christian at all, that wondering each day psychologically brings you into a space where your brain is actually open to, to inspiration. It's open to God talking to us. And it's open to also to new things, to new ideas. And God can actually challenge us now you'd be surprised if you've been reading something through the week or you've watched this other YouTube video. If you're sitting in your daily 15 minutes of wonder, I don't, don't call it that. That's just whatever you call it. Um, you, you'd be surprised at what your brain brings back up, you know, and, and brings into your, uh, your mind. And God has made us. Um, I think one of the Psalms says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Our brains are supposed to work this way. We regurgitate things. We think them over we need to give ourselves space for that. And one of the bad things about modern life is we're bombarding ourselves with this input all the time coming from all these different sources, advertisements and billboards and TV shows and music. Every time we get anywhere, we stick the plugs in and we close ourselves down to new things. We let other people tell us what we should be thinking. Let yourself think, make a time. If you've got some friends to sit around, have a drink and talk about stuff don't be scared to talk about real exactly. stuff exactly. read a book exactly. get and into a book club especially as millennials we're very conditioned to just sort yes. of go with the flow and everything's it's, it's like we're in a little incubator we've got our phones you have the advertisements you have the radio you have pop culture you have everything else it's just feeding yep. us like little rats but the second you can break away from you know the radio break away from the television regularly right. watch at what times allows you to be a free thinker you know i'm pro free thought and also though it allows you to go back to a show or something and think about it so for example um uh what's a good example uh, i have really enjoyed some movies um because i've actually thought more about them and given myself some time to think after i've watched them and gone ah, wow, yeah, yeah that's interesting i, I don't agree with that but now i know why i don't agree with that because i've thought through this other stuff and i can yeah. separate that when when you with i used to have a friday club a bunch of guys used to come around we have a port together and we would um we just talk about whatever struck us 
And when you're in a place where you can comfortably agree or disagree with someone happily and enjoy the friendship still within that disagreement, you're much more able to engage with the whole world and all kinds of ideas in a way that is where you don't take it personally and you teach other people not to take it personally. Exactly. Now, exactly. Huge barrier to our evangelization often yeah. is that people take it personally. Exactly. Yep. So I was on the train uh, during World Youth Day in Sydney once and a whole bunch of German tourists, it was about 11 o'clock at night, a whole bunch of German tourists came through. They're all World Youth Day attendees. They were singing a glorious hymn in German, went through the place um, and the carriage was empty again. Just myself and one other middle-aged woman. And I said to her, isn't it great to see so many young people so happy? Now, I didn't think it was controversial. I didn't think I was being pushy. <laughs> she just came at me hard and just ranted about how evil it was that the Pope was in Sydney, that they shouldn't have spent any money on him. And I couldn't figure it out until I'd heard her out after a long, long conversation on the train. She had been deeply hurt by um, somebody. It was a very small thing. A priest had offended her mm -hmm. uh, by being a bit rude to her in a very vulnerable situation she was in. She just separated and he was quite rude to her. Now, because of that, she carried that hurt for 20 years and any kind of admission that Catholics might be right about anything meant that she was angry because she was hurting still. And we, if we are gentle with people, if we love them, if we're careful with them, if we hear them out, sometimes we can get to the point where we say, hey, that wasn't Catholicism. That was just some guy being a pain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I, I really agree with you that a big, what I've observed culturally in the church is is especially more traditional uh in the more traditional uh more conservative circles is yep. is, is, is you can often take it uh, very personally uh, when somebody go, uh, goes up against your faith or something that you hold and and, and that inhibits any kind of dialogue and, and creates grudges look I, i'm blessed to be able i have many friends that are secular disagree with me and i i like to enjoy the disagreements i've i've learned to enjoy yep. the disagreement exactly what you're saying there it's not it's not easy initially there's always no. it doesn't feel very comfortable because they know they they you put your you put your finger on it right there the discomfort thing is a big deal right but then and that makes i think you begin to become comfortable with it over time yep. You know, where you can, but you don't want to, you don't you want to get too comfortable with, with it. What, what discomfort teaches you is that there's something wrong there. Yeah. And what, what's usually wrong is that they're making me feel uncomfortable because I don't quite know the answer to what they're saying. And, and I, I don't like the fact that they seem to be having a question that I don't understand. It's challenging what I believe and I feel uncomfortable about that. Well, then I should go and I should spend some time talking to someone or reading something or learning something about my faith. So plenty of people at Notre Dame, in fact, I've spoken to one this morning, have had a deep challenge to their faith in an area that's deeply um, like a, a huge part of their own inner workings with God. And they've, they've come looking for an answer and they'll study the faith for that reason. There are others out there who just come and ask, you know, they'll find someone they, they trust. Maybe it's you, dear listener. Maybe it's you because you're the Catholic they know. And they'll come and they say, hey, what does God say about this? Or what do Catholics say about that? And um, what they may be looking for is that, that, um, that key discomfort 
that they have in their relationship with God. Um, you do need to know some stuff and you do need to be comfortable talking to God. Um, you do need to have that familiarity. I would say praying the Psalms, the priests, by the way, have to pray the Psalms three times a day. That's part of their, their normal right, right. life. It's called the daily office, mm -hmm. um, the divine office, sorry. Um, we, we can pray that with them. That's what we're strongly encouraged to do so. And when we do that, those prayers become a part of our life and a part of our daily breathing of our relationship with God. And that can help us in our conversations with people. So for example, um, I was once in a hospital and I had a collar on cause I was back then I was a Lutheran minister and a, a big biker got into the lift with me and he stood there beside me, turned around saw my collar, grabbed me by my shirt and slammed me against the side of the, the lift and said, oh, wow. don't give me any of that God stuff. And he said something else, but I won't go there. Then I went, okay. And didn't say anything. He went away. I did my rounds in the hospital. It was a cancer hospital. It wasn't a fun time. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of a very long day, I came down to the ground floor and I was coming out of a lift, staggering home. And he raced up to me in the foyer and I thought, oh no. Um, and he came up to me and grabbed my arm and he apologized. He said, I'm really sorry I did that to you. I've been waiting here all day for you to come back. And he said, I just need to tell you why. He said his daughter was in the cancer ward. She was five years old. And he was hurting so much from uh, from that he couldn't he couldn't face anyone talking to him about God, and so I just gave him a prayer card I had, which was just printed, and I said I'm not going to say anything, but here's something that someone else has felt similarly, and it was Psalm 13. It begins with How long, O Lord? What are you doing? Basically, um, and he said, Who who wrote this? They get it. <laughs> I said, Well, it was written a long time ago. But it's one of the Christian prayers. And he had never heard anybody pray this way. He'd never heard anyone say to God, what's going on? And that's exactly how he felt. So when we pray the Psalms and they're the cries of the people of God for, you know, 3000 years now, um, we have the words sometimes to cry out uh, with them uh, and actually answer some of the questions. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put. Mm. that we can align our prayers with them in the Psalms. And it's very important that you mentioned that we should take up the divine office. Mm. I, I myself pray the office, uh, me and my wife, uh, we, sort of like our little communal prayer that we do every day together. Yep. Uh, and you're praying that with every other Christian in the world. Exactly. When the, the divine office is prayed around the world. And, and it's, it's great to, to align ourselves with the Psalms and the prayers of of the the israelites at that time and depending on that situation that they were in uh, it's a so, prayer that christ himself prayed when he was alive too exactly no so definitely do take up the divine office um let's um let, let's go into summary what are three practical tools of how people can take action now to become Good. better well-rounded catholics so they can go to their ordinary circumstance whether they're in politics, any politicians listening, uh, influencers, um, professionals, students, do the best that they can in whatever circumstance they are, but yep. fulfill our moral obligation to bear witness to Christ in the best way possible in 2022 and beyond. I would say that the bare minimum for Catholics is you must be practicing. You, you need to go to mass. Um, at least on the Sundays, you absolutely have to be doing this and you have to, um, I would say, pray daily. Um, 
Open yourself to the scriptures daily. There is a plenary indulgence for daily scripture reading for 10 minutes a day. Open yourself to God's, God's word 10 minutes a day. If you have just that, um, you, have, you begin to fill uh, your heart with God's voice. It's, if I go to the supermarket and I go to look at the shelves, I can hear my voice, wife's voice telling me which brands to get because she's spoken to me so many times. Yep. And if we've heard yep. God speak so many times, we'll hear his voice at the crucial moment when people speak to us. The second thing I would say is um, uh, set aside time for God, either for contemplation, but also just say one night a week, I'm going to read something spiritually beneficial. I'm going to read something and then ask your priest, ask friends, uh, ask um your lecturers, if you're going to the university, something that's edifying, something that's good for you, it's going to stretch you a little bit. We're all different. And, you know, reading something quite simple uh, by Peter Kreeft or Scott Hahn or something like that is, is a good start for most, uh, most people. Uh, if you want, you know, something a bit more meaty, then come on by and I'll, I'll throw a few books at you if you like. Um, but um, but the, the point is, is that make some time this sort of stuff doesn't jump out and hit you. You have to actually make space for God in your life. Um, and the, the third thing is, is never, never neglect to ask God to help you grow specific, be specific in your prayer. Ask God, how can I grow? What are the areas? Show me where I need to work on my weaknesses. Show me how I can build my strengths for you. And in most cases, it's going to be different for you and I. It's going to be different for my wife and I, and you know we, we can help each other get to those things, but we need to be open to those opportunities. If you've made the time, then you'll be looking for something to fill it. If you ask God to help you to know what to fill it with, you've got it there. And if you're reading the scriptures, you'll always have God's voice in your ear. So if you wanted three things, I'd say they're pretty solid. Excellent, beautiful. And what does it mean 2022 and beyond to bring Christ uh in the midst of elderly circumstances is that it's mean? a tough one isn't it what are your thoughts well, i mean we're in a situation where people are very very tense and they're very fearful and i have to say i'm a little bit fearful uh, i have a vulnerable son and um his health is not great so in terms of COVID, i can get fearful but that that should never never drive me to dislike or or disparage or to hurt or harm or even talk down to or be angry with other people because they have different understanding of things. Um, people are going to be in need. People are losing jobs. People are uh, struggling in, in mental health. People are struggling with, um, uh, with how they get around just in terms of friendships. They're, we have more need out there right now than ever before. So I think, I think if we want to, there are people who want to talk to us. If we exactly. want to, yeah. there are people who will listen. There are people who are looking for meaning. If we want to go and serve God instead of just looking for stuff that's for us. I mean, you put it beautifully there that this is a time I think where people's, some part of people's brain has opened up to, to the idea of coming back to the faith. If you're a lapsed Catholic or, or asking the bigger questions, because in times of trial, it seems that people are more inclined to ask the bigger questions. I think this is a, we need to optimize uh, the use of this time where people are still fearful, tense. Yeah, although I, I just want to add that we don't want to we don't want to uh, present this as if we are glad that they're fearful or that we want to make them right. fearful in order to 
love. And there are going to be people who say no to God. We need to accept that because God gave them free will. But at a time when people are fearful, we have a reason for hope. At a time when people are lonely, we have a reason for comfort and for friendship. Uh, at a time when people are, are perhaps looking for an alternative meaning of life, they've worked their butt off and now they've realized, gosh, what's actually, what's it all for? Then we have, the great we have a reason for hope and we can share that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure having you here, Peter Holmes. Thank you very much for being with me on the Catholic Toolbox. A pleasure. Thank you very much. So thank you for tuning into Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. If you haven't checked out our website, go to thecatholictoolboxshow.com and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So until next week, God bless, take care and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Charity.